Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. That's the thing about Advent and Christmas, isn't it? It's the, the charming images. Just these past few days, we have unloaded from our garage into our home these beautiful motifs, these themes, these, these scenes around our homes that remind us of the nativity, of Christmas and Christmas trees, of, of candlelight. Brothers and sisters, I need to introduce you to a new Advent and Christmas symbol. It's the axe. I know it sounds like something out of a horror movie. It's not. But neither is it an Andy Williams Christmas special either. I mean, think about it. We've got our nativity scenes, our crushes, those cute little sheep. Of course, we know about Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman, even an elf on the shelf, let alone perhaps even a, a Christmas pickle. But an axe... The image of an axe at the base of a tree is stark. It's sobering and menacing. The arrival of Jesus into the world is more than just a holly jolly moment, y'all. As it turns out, our souls are at stake. Now, this isn't new. Some of you all are familiar with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. In it, we meet Ebenezer Scrooge, right? A character who's revisited by ghosts. How many of you all were as frightened by A Christmas Carol as a child as I was? Those ghosts serve an important role. It's to call him to awareness and repentance. I have to think that Charles Dickens had to have heard about John the Baptist and his stark message of an axe being at the base of a tree. Just a few moments ago, we read a beautiful, lyrical, and harmonious Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. But how many of you all caught these words? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. And let's not go to sleep on the image of Mary and Joseph taking the Christ child to the temple. And Simeon comes in and prophesies and looks Mary dead in the eyes and says, a sword will pierce your soul also. The arrival of God with us is earth-shaking and faith-forming. This is how God makes peace with us. 
God gives us a way to be saved through Jesus. And y'all, if we are not fully aware of this truth that John talks about here and that Jesus revisits over and over again, then we cannot know the joy that accompanies the arrival of our salvation. At Advent, we prepare the way for the Lord, which is why we read this passage about John's stark message and God's hope. They're both present. Because that's John's message, not only to the masses then, but to us as well. Here's a fun fact. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The infancy narratives that we are heralding right now only appear in two of them, Matthew and Luke. John the Baptist, he appears in all four. But I'm sure that's not important. John says, the coming Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Tell me, how many of you all have a winnowing fork on your Christmas tree? I didn't think so. Let's play with these images for just a moment. I'm not a farmer, nor do I pretend to be one, which is why I had to look this up. A winnowing fork was used by a farmer after the wheat had been brought in. There's a problem, however. The grain, the kernels there in the wheat, have to be separated from the other stuff that got picked up. The husks, the weeds, everything else. So on the threshing floor, a farmer would take this fork-like instrument and throw the wheat up into the air. The wind would blow away the shaft, and the wheat would fall to the threshing floor. It is an image, of course, of God's judgment, separating the good and the valuable from the worthless and useless. There's also the bit about fire. John likes fire. Fire, of course, not only purifies, it consumes Something to keep in mind as we talk about the function and purpose of God with us. The religious leaders of the day came to John to get baptized. The reference to Pharisees and Sadducees communicate to us that Matthew wanted to make sure that we all knew that those who had it all figured out, those in charge, those shaping the message of faith, they were coming to John in the wilderness to be baptized. You were baptized, of course, as a way to start over. And yes, baptism for all of our Methodist and Presbyterian Episcopalian friends literally means to be dipped. They are there to be baptized so that they might be saved. But John here, in his prophetic voice, is warning them to beware of a false sense of security about their baptism or their heritage. Think faith resume. Actually, that's putting it nicely. He actually calls them a brood of snakes. 
which is not a great translation. Literally, John is calling them snake bastards. Now, don't get offended. Jesus uses that same reference twice himself. Doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. Snakes are poisonous. They will bite you when you least expect it. They're predators. But the image that John weaves here is one of snakes that are writhing together as a a forest fire blazes and chases them out. They're, They're fleeing the coming fire. You think you're so clever, John is saying. You think that by being baptized, you'll escape the punishment that God is soon going to send on the wicked? You figured wrong, he's telling them. Your baptism, he's saying, is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Just as much as you're not a part of a fraternity if you just show up for the initiation. If you're not part of the life of the community for those years that you're in college, you can't call yourself a brother. We know this. John knows this. He wants to make certain that this religious authority that's assembled there know it also. He tells them, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit that comes from a sincere desire to reorient yourself around Christ's law, which as we will learn means love of neighbor. Don't presume to say to yourselves, he tells them, we have have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God's able with these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Apparently, trees that don't bear godly fruit are destined to become firewood. In my home, it's not really Christmas until we listen to a record from my childhood. It's based on a children's book by Arnold Sardgard called An Axe, an Apple, and a Buckskin Jacket. A buckskin jacket with fringe on it. Rebecca, a few years ago, found the actual book. It was written in the 1950s. The record, a long plain record, I might add, side A and B, tells the story of young Jethro in the 1800s. Deep in the forest, he lives with his parents in a cabin. The woods are thick. And when he goes out at night, he can't see many stars. His father is trying to clear the land around the cabin so that they can plant fruits and vegetables. But the trees are too big and Jethro is too small. On Christmas Eve, his pa tells him, we're going into town, son. We're going to go and try and trade some things for tomorrow's Christmas. Saddle up, get ready, son. But Jethro says, oh no, Paul, you go on ahead. I have something here to do. For Jethro has a plan. He's going to take his father's axe and begin to clear the forest around him. The parents leave and he goes out eager to begin chopping down the trees. But 
The axe is much too big for Jethro, and his attempts at bringing down the trees are just not going to cut it. Disheartened, as the snow begins to fall on that Christmas Eve, he retires to his cabin where he gets dozy by the fire. That evening, however, he is visited by three magical guests. The first, John Bunyan, gives him a magical axe, an axe just his size, so that when he goes out, he can fell any tree in but three strokes. The next guest is Johnny Appleseed, presents him with a beautiful apple that inside has the seeds of a tree that will bear good fruit. And then lastly, Daniel Boone, the old frontiersman himself, telling stories of the wilderness and presents him with a buckskin jacket, a buckskin jacket with fringe on it. But then he awakens, and his guests are gone. His gifts are gone. It's only darkness and snow. Christmas morning comes, however. His parents made it through the storm. They're back. They've put up a Christmas tree. And there beneath the tree are three gifts. An axe, an apple, and a buckskin jacket. A buckskin jacket with fringe on it, no less. Jethro knew that they needed space to plant fruit trees. His intentions were good. He wanted to clear the forest because he knew that trees, if they don't have a purpose, can just be in the way. He wanted so much to be of help to his father, but on his own, he could not do it. He wanted the farm to be productive. He wanted the farm to be rich with produce. It's not Christmas if we don't listen to that story. It's a special image for me, just as this is a special image for us. For at Christmas, we get an image of the Christ child who is lying in a manger. And with Jesus and the panels of the stained glass windows that fill this worship sanctuary, with Jesus we receive his teaching, his preaching, and we get the truth. And the truth is, we are all in need of repentance. And repentance, of course, means stopping and reorienting ourselves around God's commandments. And we can't do that until we come to the conclusion that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Y'all, there will be judgment. But with Christ, there is a reprieve, an opportunity for our faith in him to bear good fruit. Now, are we talking about the fruit that used to show up in my stocking, my parents' and grandparents' house? Some of you all may have gotten it too, to get an orange 
and other exotic fruits that in the early 20th century our parents and grandparents never would have received. To receive that in a stocking was special. Is that the kind of fruit we're talking about? Maybe. Except for the fact that the fruit that's described here is love. Love for neighbor. God's fruit, true, is dynamic and diverse. A veritable fruit market. But all of God's fruit is unmistakable in its fruitiness. God's fruit is love of neighbor. And according to John, if our lives do not bear that kind of fruit, well, there's an axe and an apple whose seeds have not been put to good use. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he didn't find any. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and and I, I still, I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? But the gardener replied, sir, Let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. With Jesus, the gardener, we receive a reprieve from the axe. With Jesus, the gardener, we receive grace we receive a reprieve from the judgment of the axe. Let me work with it, Jesus says. Give it to me. Let me work with it. Let me dig around it with my shovel here. Let me dig around it and put fertilizer in there. And then let's see what kind of fruit it bears. If it doesn't work, so be it. (laughs) Y'all, Three years of waiting and an additional year of grace, that's a good deal we'd best take. Jesus' voice here is one of grace and of hope. Here's the thing. You're not going to experience salvation if you feel no need to be saved from your sins. We've got to take Jesus more seriously than a babe lying in a manger. Because the only thing lying around here today is an axe. And it's lying at the foot of the root. Sir, let it alone for one more year. Let me dig around it and and put manure on it. So if we need to include an axe at Christmas. Well, Jesus gives us a reason to include a shovel. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, thank you for sending Christ Jesus to make peace with us. You have extended such grace to us, O God,
by giving us chance after chance after chance. We know and confess that we deserve an axe, and yet you send Christ Jesus to us with a shovel. So Christ, dig around our roots, give us good nutrients, and let us bear fruit. For it's in Jesus' name, the good gardener, that we pray these things. Amen.